When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Uh, like Mark said, my name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you're new, if you're a guest, uh, welcome. So glad you're here. Um, it's just a, an honor and a privilege to get to worship God together with you. So have you ever known someone who thought way too much of themselves? Someone who thought that they were just God's gift to everything and all they could do was talk about themselves? If you're a football fan, if you've been watching football for a while, you know who T.O. is, Terrell Owens. He was a wide receiver in the NFL for a while, and he was very good, and he knew it. And T.O.'s favorite thing to say was, I love me some me. <laughs> love me some me. He even tried to get it trademarked. One of the most surprising things about me, um, for better or for worse, I love rap music. I, like, I grew up on, you know, Biggie and Tupac. Um, I love Kanye, just lyrically, musically. I think he's a genius. Um, but even in the world of celebrities, like Kanye's ego stands out. Nobody loves Kanye more than Kanye loves Kanye. And I'm here for it. Like, I, I want to see it. Okay, but, but being around those kinds of people, it's, it's really annoying. Like, you, you don't enjoy being around them. You like to watch it from afar because it's entertaining, but if you actually, actually like be friends with them, you hate it. Okay, so knowing that we all hate those kinds of people, what, what was Jesus just doing in the passage that Kitten just read for us? He asked for one thing over and over and over again. He said, glorify me. Glorify me. Father, glorify me. Father, glorify you. He, he was being very self-centered. So, so do you feel that tension? We, we hate being around self-centered people, and yet Jesus and God here is being very self-centered. And God's passion for bringing attention and glory to himself isn't just in this passage. It's all over the Bible. I don't think you can find one page in the Bible where God isn't concerned with his own glory. If you go to Exodus and the ten plagues that God sent on Egypt and Pharaoh, he gave a reason for every single plague that he sent. And the reason for every single one of them is so that both Israel and Pharaoh would know that God is God, that he is more powerful than any other thing or being. If you go to Psalm 23, it's a psalm that we go to a lot in times of trouble in order to comfort ourselves. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
And we go to that psalm and we think, this is about comforting me. And while that's true, I think if the primary thing that you take away from Psalm 23 is that you are meant to be comforted, then you are selling that psalm way short. One one line that we often skip over in Psalm 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Okay? For his name's sake. So we are meant to take those comforts as gifts and then look beyond the gift to the giver and give glory to him. Those are just means by which God is meant to be glorified in him comforting us. And if you ever just want to get thrown into like the deep end of God trying to bring glory to himself and being focused on himself, go to Isaiah 45. Um, In my Bible, in, in the margins, For Isaiah 45, I just have humility written over and over and over and over in the margins just because of how God-centered and how much I have nothing to do with it is. In Isaiah 45, God says, I call you by your name. I name you. I am the Lord. There is no other besides me. I equip you. The people may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord. There is no other I am the Lord who does all of these things. I made the earth and created man on it. So just like Kanye loves Kanye, nobody loves God more than God loves God. Nobody is more concerned for God's own glory than God is. And this has caused people a lot of problems. A lot of people have heard about God's concern for his own glory, and they have walked away. So Oprah Winfrey, when she was in her 20s, she was at uh, a, a service or a conference, you know, whatever, and the pastor was, you know, just going through all the attributes of God, that he is wise and holy and omniscient, and, you know, Oprah gave her amen, but then the preacher said that God was jealous. And that, that just didn't really sit right with Oprah. You know, we're told not to be jealous. That's a self-centered thing. So how can God be jealous? So she walked away. Brad Pitt, he, he had the same problem. He one time said that God demands that we acknowledge him. God demands that we say that he is the best. And to me, that seems to be about ego. And I can't see God operating from ego. So it made no sense to me. All right. C.S. Lewis, you know, back, you know, 80 or so years ago when he was a young man had this same problem. When he heard about God's own God-centeredness, he said, that sounds like a vain woman seeking compliments. All right. So, so it just sounds very prideful for God to be like that. And, and maybe you've thought the same thing. But the thing that Oprah and Brad Pitt missed, but that C.S. Lewis eventually discovered is that God is the one being for whom self-exaltation is right. God is the one being for whom self-exaltation is right. Because here's the thing. If God chose to give glory to anything other than himself, then that would be to give glory to something that's not deserving of it. That would be to give glory to something that is lesser than. It would be to worship the creature rather than the creator. And so by a Romans 1 definition, that is idolatry. And so it is right 
for God to be God-centered because God himself is the only one who is deserving of worship and of glory. Okay, but before we go any further, I want to make sure that we have a proper understanding of what glory is. Uh, It's a word that shows up five times in this passage. You know, glorify me, Father, glorify yourself. And, And just as a side note, if I'm Anytime God speaks, we need to pay attention, but if you ever read something in your Bible and God repeats himself, you, you really need to pay attention. So just as, as you're studying your Bible, be on the lookout for repeated things. That's probably God trying to make a point extra clear, and God is really narrowing in on glory right here. And the Greek word for glory is doxa. That's where we get our word in our song, doxology, and it just simply means to praise. And if you go back a little further, if you go to the Old Testament, in Hebrew, the word for glory is kavod. And literally, it means weight or heavy. So if you were alive in the 70s, that sounds like a really 70s word, like, oh, it's heavy. All right? (laughs) And there are four accounts in the Bible of people having visions of the throne room of heaven, of just being face to face with the unadulterated glory of God. There's Isaiah in Isaiah 6, Ezekiel in Ezekiel 1, Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, and then John in Revelation 4 and 5. And one thing that each of these passages have in common is that as soon as these men are thrust into the presence of the glory of God, they get on their faces. They, they cannot stand anymore. And, and I, I think part of that is just because they are just, you know, overcome, like, this is God. But I think more literally, it was just hard to stay on their feet. Because the atmosphere that they were in was heavy. It was weighty. Like, being in the presence of the glory of God is like getting under a squat rack. But instead of having iron pressing down on you, you are having holiness and righteousness and beauty and power and majesty. And it is just pressing in on you. The glory of God is weighty and heavy. All right, so so, so coming back to our passage, what is Jesus asking for when he is asking for the Father to glorify him and for him to glorify the Father? He is asking for weight and for praise, and for serious joy and serious adoration to be given to him right now in this moment. Okay, now now context is key. Jesus is asking asking to be glorified right now. So, So what's so special about this moment? Why would Jesus ask it now? Over and over throughout John's gospel, we keep coming across this phrase, uh, the hour. Jesus' hour. Back at the wedding in Cana, when they were running out of wine, Jesus' mother ran up to him and said, like, help us, we're running out of wine. And Jesus said, no, 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 it's, it's not my hour. In chapter 7, the people of Jerusalem, they wanted to arrest Jesus, but the Father divinely intervened, and they wouldn't, he wouldn't let them arrest him because it wasn't Jesus' hour. And then as we come into the upper room in chapters 12 and 13, Jesus says, okay, now my hour is here. I have come for the purpose of this hour. And so this hour 
was a moment set apart from all of eternity that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit agreed on that everything that they were going to do in all of cosmic history was going to lead to this point. Jesus is in the upper room. He knows that tomorrow he dies. And so this hour is referring to his death. He is saying to the Father, the promise you made to Eve back in the garden that you would crush the serpent's head and reverse the curse of sin in the world, it's time. The promise you made to Abraham that through one of his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, it's time. The promise he made to David that one of his offspring would establish the throne and the kingdom of God forever, it's time. Every single promise that God had ever made to his people, it was all culminating on this one focal point on the hour of the death of Jesus, and it was time. So what Jesus was asking is that the Father would make this hour famous, that he would make it known, make it plain, that God would put himself on display, that he would go public with his glory so that the world could behold that glory, behold that weight and magnitude and beauty of the cross. This hour, the cross of Jesus, is the most important event in all of human history, and it changes everything for us. Okay, the innocent become guilty, the lost become found, enemies become friends, slaves become free. Everything gets turned upside down for us at the cross. But, but I do want to be careful that we don't commit the same error at the cross that we often do with Psalm 23. Okay, remember at Psalm 23, we a lot of times view the comforts that God gives us and stop there. It would be a mistake to go to the cross and think that it is about us. To think that uh, ultimately it's about me becoming saved. That it's about, you know, a slave becoming free and enemies becoming friends. That would be to sell the cross way short. God's view of the cross was not primarily about us. He prayed that we would experience the gospel transformation that the cross gives us and that we would then turn around and praise him for it. So yes, the cross does include us and save us, but it is not primarily about us. The cross is about putting the glory of God on display. It is about putting the love of God in sacrificing his own son on display. It is about showing us the justice of God as he pours out his wrath on sin. It is about the, the wisdom of God in using a homeless man, some pieces of wood, and three nails to overcome all the powers of the world. It's about the sovereignty of God in orchestrating all of human history of thousands of years to this one moment. The cross does include us, but it is not about us. The cross ultimately is about God and bringing him glory. We catch glimpses of it throughout the Bible, but at the cross, every attribute of God is on full display. So Mark, uh, a few minutes ago, mentioned that our mission statement as a church is we exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. And so those aren't just random words that we chose. They were chosen very carefully. And so hopefully now 
that, that sentence has a little more uh, weight to it. Okay, so we exist for the glory of God because God's primary focus is the glory of God. So I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago, and there was this journalist who went to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and he wanted to do some research as to what is going on with Nick Saban and that football team. Like, they, they, they just keep on winning. What is their secret? And so uh, he went down there for, for a few days, and he was interviewing coaches and players, and he walked up to an equipment manager. And the equipment manager was just folding towels, and the journalist went up and asked him, like, what are you doing? And the equipment manager said, I'm preparing to win a national championship. Which is kind of a weird thing to say if you're just folding towels. Okay, but, but what Nick Saban has done is he has instilled at every level of that organization a greater purpose. So that people don't just wake up and say, I've got to go to a meeting, I've got to you know, do my drills, I've got to fold towels. They see everything is pointing towards that one ultimate goal of winning a national championship. Okay, and so in, in Colossians 3, Paul tells us that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, it's pretty common. You know, we do it three times a day, sometimes more. Okay, so whether you're eating or drinking, going to work, changing a diaper, sitting in traffic, preaching a sermon, cooking dinner, no matter what you do, our lives are meant to be lived to the glory of God. And so it is my hope and my prayer that as a church, that daily we would go to the cross, behold the glory and the weight and the majesty and the magnificence of God, and that would infiltrate everything that we do. That we would not have a self-centered view of ourselves, but a God-centered view of ourselves. That our lives are meant to be lived to the glory of God in everything that we do. And so we exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. Now, I'm a pretty serious preacher. Um, like Jamie joked with me a few weeks ago, like, you just always talk about sin and death, and it's just, you know, kind of tough. Um, so that's, that's my bad. Um, just just kind of my temperament, my personality. A lot of that is also just, you know, the preachers that have really shaped me. Um, but one time I read C.S. Lewis, and he said that there is a kind of joy that makes you serious. There is a kind of joy that makes you serious. That there is a joy and that there are levels of happiness that if they are true and if they are attainable, then you don't mess around. That you will do anything and everything that you can to obtain it. If I could borrow another line from a man who's influenced me a lot, John Piper, he said that as Christians, our lives should be marked by both gravity and gladness. Gladness because we have the good news of the gospel. Gladness, we have the greatest joy, the greatest freedom, the greatest happiness possible. We can be happier than you can even imagine if we are in Christ. And because that is true, we take it very, very seriously. We know what a soul is worth. 
and we know how great God is, and we will do anything and everything to help people come to know Him for the glory of God and the joy of all people. So we exist to display the glory of God in our lives through Christ and Him crucified, through going to the cross having the vision of who God is, just being overcome simply by who He is and letting that change everything about us. And then we show it to the world so that they can taste and see that the Lord is good, that in His presence are pleasures forevermore, that they can be like the man in Jesus' parable who found a treasure hidden in a field and in his joy went and sold everything that he had to pursue God. It's the greatest joy available to us. It's what Jesus prayed for, and it's what our lives should be focused on. So towards that end, would you pray with me? God, you simply are glorious. You are beautiful and powerful, and you have revealed yourself to us in Jesus, and you have revealed yourself most fully to us in Christ and Him crucified on the cross. And so I pray for people who walked into this room and they didn't know you, that they would see you, your love and your holiness and your power, and that your spirit would do a mighty work and continue to preach a much better sermon than I just did in their hearts. I ask that you would bring them to faith, bring them to the joy of Jesus. And for everyone in this room, would you overcome us with your glory? Would you shape us by it that we would be completely devoted in everything that we do to you? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.